Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is Friday, September the 11th. It's overcast again here today in Crystal Lake, and uh, not so cold, but it's a lot of the snow is melting, and it's gray, so it almost sounds like rain outside, but instead it's just all the snow melting. So we'll have more later this afternoon. So uh, not, a, not a sunny day, so it's a day, those are the days that I have to work especially diligently on just uh, being okay without bright sun. Um, so today I'll be working on keeping spirits up. There's no reason for them to be down, but the, the weather really will start affecting me and I have to be careful about it. So if you're if you're like that and affected by the weather, it's a really good teacher for us because the weather is the weather. We have no control over it. We have some control over where we choose to live usually, but uh, then wherever I'd go, I'd find something. It'd be either too hot or too cold. You know, there'd be, and you may be like me too. So. I'm excited today about reading this, uh, reading the last chapter in our book, Wisdom is Bliss by Robert Thurman. And I want to check out some of his other books today uh, while I'm on the computer. So let's see where we, but chapter 10, I want to read from his wrap-up chapter called Sharing My Consolation Prize. And he actually wrapped up what he talked about in the chapter before. So if you haven't listened to chat to uh, my talk from Tuesday, I mean yesterday, Thursday, the 10th, that's a great one to give you a good wrap-up of what the book is about if you're interested in it and you might want to uh, go back and get the book and read it or listen to the my recent talks. So, chapter 10, Sharing My Consolation Prize. Now, and remember, Robert Thurman is a very close friend of the Dalai Lama. He's been a Buddhist for a long, long time. And uh, he is also a professor, a teacher. So his, he has a pretty close-up, uh, not only a scholarly approach, but a very experiential approach. Sharing My Consolation Prize. Well, then we have gone through the entirety. Whoops, that's the wrong chapter. That was the one we read yesterday. So today we read sharing. No, this is a new one. Okay, well, then we have gone through the entirety of the Four Noble Truths, or as I call them, the Four Noble Facts. Here's the section. It's uh, within this, it's within chapter 10, but it's the second section. It's the section called Sharing My Consolation Prize. So the wrap up was going through in the beginning of this same chapter was the going through the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path very quickly and reminding us. I like that. Now, this is his personal, uh, his personal evaluation of his own practice sharing my consolation prize. Nowadays, when I share some teachings with students, the question comes up, I guess at the beginning as well as at the end, where do I myself stand? 
Am I enlightened myself and speaking from there as I tell them about all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, about the infinite lifestyle, bliss, Buddhahood, the positive, glorious, exquisite nature of reality? Or am I just doing wishful thinking, rationalization, living in fantasy land? I always honestly answer, no, I am not enlightened. I am just like you, looking for it, hoping for it. I sometimes say jokingly to lighten things up. Actually, I want to reassure you that I am actually quite miserable, just as honorably miserable as many of you may be, though I hope a bit less after our conversations these days. There is often a sigh of disappointment when I speak like this. In one way, and maybe a feeling of relief in another. My wife scolded me recently about how I always intensely deny how I'm enlightened, which I do, especially around the house, or if, or I'm in real trouble. She said, yeah, that's correct. You're an idiot. But in a way, you were more enlightened than most people. So it would discourage them too much if you keep insisting on how unenlightened you are. So shut up and admit to a bit of enlightenment. Of course, I am not a Buddha since I cannot hold my mind on a dot of blue color for two hours without wavering. I cannot levitate. I cannot wakingly emerge in a subtle body out of my coarse, ordinary body. I cannot fly through the air. I cannot live in a 20 below mountain winter stark naked. I cannot conjure jewel trees out of toothpicks, radiate light rays from my forehead. I cannot talk to the gods, ward off demons, heal my friends, calm my enemies. I cannot liberate Tibet and all prisoners of conscience <clears throat> and all victims of famine, genocide, war, and disease all over the world. I cannot find souls in the between states and move them into Buddha-verses instead of universes. He's coined this phrase, Buddha-verses. I cannot even be sure my teachings have any positive effects on my students. I definitely believe the Buddhas and advanced bodhisattvas can do such things, but after more than half a century of study and practice, I have failed at any of the above attainments, and I must admit I am still a tiny bit unsure whether my belief in them is correct or mistaken. I did, however, succeed in awarding myself a consolation prize to console me in my failures. It came to me one day when I was looking at some family photos in a scrapbook. I came upon a picture of myself and my beloved wife, partner, and teacher, Nina, and our first two children on the beach in the island of Majorca when we were 29 years old. It was a sunny little bit of paradise, immensely enjoyable to see as a pick and to remember. But then my enjoyment was disturbed when I looked at my own face 
and in a flash recognized the thought in my mind at the time, which was the strong sense of anxiety in, a, in the midst of the blissful scene. Where's the wallet, the credit card? Are we almost out of money? Where is my visa for India? Where a fellowship awaits? Are the kids okay? Is Nina happy? What do we need? Etc. I could see from the picture that I was not in the moment realistically aware of the blessed fortune, blissful setting and companionship and peaceful situation on a planet where many beings were suffering, dying, starving, feeling sick, in agony, terrified, tortured, and so on. But then I realized that I now could see how wonderful the situation was, how lucky we were, how blissful and blessed with fortune. I enjoyed the scene immensely, even blissfully, retroactively, in that way. I then realized something about the Nirvana, Nibbana or Nirvana reality that Buddha discovered and proclaimed to our world in this era. This Nirvana reality is not a created state, not a new place created by causes, by effort. It is the ultimate. Oh, I knew that all along. How come I didn't recognize it before now? It has obviously always been that way. If nirvana is there at all, it has to have always been there, or here, from beginningless time. And when it is experienced as the reality home, it has always been. All of one's past experiences are re-experienced as having never been apart from that nirvana. I suddenly realized how it was that the Buddha could experience all his infinite previous lifetimes just at the brink, the event horizon, of realizing the beginningless, eternal reality of nirvana. He had forgotten so many of those lives because he had experienced them as suffering, as painful. And who wants to remember pain? No one wants to feel pain, and after having done so, no one wants to remember having felt it. But if you realize that you have always really been in nirvana, then you see your past painful experiences as illusory reflections in the bliss-polished mirror surface of unwavering bliss, freedom from any pain. They are not 100% non-existent, they were experienced as painful due to your failure to know their deeper nirvanic reality of inconsolable, graceful bliss. And since you then can see without diminishing the presence of such overwhelming super bliss throughout all your limitless, infinite previous lives, you can also see your beginningless and endless entanglement with the infinite past of all the countless other beings, without exception, all of, whom, all of whom, unbeknownst to too many of them, have also never been apart from the uncreated, inconceivable bliss of nirvana. 
I love how he says, you can see all your limitless, infinite previous lives. You can also see your beginningless and endless entanglement with the infinite past of all the countless other beings without exception. Okay. No one is left out, and it becomes totally natural for you to want everyone else to know their own reality. You can even see how they inevitably will do so, given infinite time to eventually overcome their misknowing, given the infinite numbers of beings who have already become Buddhas and only wish them to do so, and given that these Buddhas have the power and the artfulness to effectively help them do so. So this is my consolation prize. I am not that happy and satisfied and blissful now, but my sense of being isolated in a now moment cannot withstand analysis. I have no good reason to not believe I am engaged in endless continuity, and I have good reason to believe the Buddha, because he knew and taught the emptiness and relativity that I can experimentally and experientially verify. So I can be profoundly certain that I will also become such a Buddha, experience such a Nibbana, and join the Buddha and Bodhisattva team to effortlessly bring other beings into their own blissful awareness of being in that beginningless flow of bliss and love. This is my consolation. This very moment here and now will be known later as already experienced here and now, as bliss, void, indivisible, super bliss, freedom, inseparable, totally indivisible, universal communion of all individuals retroactively. Not only this moment here and now, fleeting as it is, but all the infinite past moments of all the experiences of all my existences and all those of all my fellow beings will be revised in the light of every single one's, yours as well as mine, nirvanic freedom, and will be thoroughly known as pure bliss, not only forever after, but forever before. The past also will be transformed and all tragedies rectified and immersed in blissful happiness. This is the consolation prize I have awarded myself and am, utter, and am utterly delighted to share with you. I love that. This is why I'm happy to share that Buddhas have more fun. You might think that once you are immersed in super bliss, it's boring, that the nature of fun is its quality of contrast with boredom, that pleasure must come from its quality of being relief from pain. If there is no pain, there cannot be pleasure. So no fun for Buddhas, only boredom. But this is yet another mistake. The point is that Buddhas are not alone. No one is ever alone, so why should Buddhas be? 
There are other Buddhas, and there are those who do not know they can be Buddhas. You have become a Buddha yourself through your being blown away in super bliss. No more pain for you. So you have more interest in your own condition. You have completely gotten over yourself. Let me read that again. So you have no more interest in your own condition. You have completely gotten over yourself. Yes, you are bored, but only with yourself. Your awareness of others has become unlimited. And as you, they are the most interesting parts. And for you, they are the most interesting parts of your infinite self. And your super bliss energy is like a great wave that lifts them out of their pains. You just have to carefully monitor it, not to swamp them. Your fun, therefore, is their fun, their relief from all pains. And there are always more of them, since they are numberless in the infinite relativity of which you have become blissfully aware. So as a Buddha, you have more fun than you ever did have, ever could have all alone, with the inexhaustible bliss energy of your love for evermore others, whose immersion in happiness becomes your endless fun. So, aha, alala, Buddhas do have more fun. Settled and sealed. May you feel relieved and blessed by this fact just as much or surely even more than I am. And may such bliss be felt as soon as humanly possible in our indestructible <clears throat> Buddhaverse that we all together enjoy and share with each other in wisdom, bliss, and love. I think that's a great ending to his often a little a little tongue in cheek, a little irreverent uh, way of describing everything. But all, I think he's uh, he's really ending the book with lots of uh, lots of optimism, lots of um, reinforcement. I love when we have entirely gotten over ourselves, and that's that's what that letting letting the self, letting that go, is, is how we are so constantly wrapped up in ourselves. This is happening to me. You know, the world is a terrible place. This pandemic is happening to me. Uh, this, this gray weather is happening to me. Uh, this, this, is, this is how we we're still only thinking of ourselves and not realizing that our connection with everything means this, this is not all about us. So we, we are moving in the right direction. And that's, that's beautiful. The way he says it is pretty wonderful. So let's get over ourselves. And uh, let's sit for a few minutes. We still have a little bit of time. Yeah, Eva's asking, what's next? So we'll have to have something that we can discuss or read uh, next. So I have a, a day or two to think about it. Send me suggestions or make comments that uh, can include suggestions.
I do want to remind you, if you have considered uh, uh, getting involved in the the uh, fundraiser at the temple for the mindfulness uh, project, and it's in lieu of our uh, annual fundraiser, the Taste of Sri Lanka, uh, please please make make uh, make a contribution to help the temple. And that's to help the, the monks there and to help the temple keep going and the bills being paid. And hopefully there'll be there are plenty of teachings that that uh, that are available to everyone if we just can keep the building going, keep the structure, keep the structure uh, sound and have a place for it to all be generated from, whether it's live or online or on Zoom. So don't forget that. Um, let's sit for a few minutes. Just be with this beautiful final positive, optimistic. I think just be with your breath and if thoughts arise, they may be from this last reading our consolation prize for not becoming Buddhas overnight. And in the Theravadan tradition, we don't assume those are, that's the role that everyone will choose to take. But being those bodhisattvas, being uh, making the intention to always come back as a student of the Buddha's teachings, we can certainly do that. Roll your shoulders back, especially if you're on the computer all day. Just roll them back gently and feel. It feels good, doesn't it? Your spine feels like, oh, you're helping me here. Your lungs are also getting more space so that your natural breath can be deeper, just deeper, more easily and naturally. Just be with your breath. Taking in everything, but not allowing yourself to be distracted by it. And if you do become distracted, that's perfectly fine because that's when you realize, oh, I'm distracted by things. And we realize, oh, I'm always distracted by outside things. So this is what we're practicing, to be mindful. Be aware, be immersed in the world, but be mindful. 
pay attention, be awake. Now put the focus on yourself and just send nurturing and kindness to yourself as we finish our practice together. May I be well. May I feel safe. May I be content and able to feel true happiness and joy. May I see my connection to all other beings. And may I live in peace. Send this out to your loved ones. <clears throat> may my loved ones be well. May they be content and happy and know joy. May they feel safe. May they live in peace. And may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. And just keep thinking about uh, what Robert Thurman says about our consolation prize, if you're not yet enlightened. And uh, let a smile come to your face thinking about his... Uh, 
his humor in talking about a very deep subject. Okay, have a beautiful day. Bye-bye.